We're in week six of our series entitled Teach Us to Pray. As we're in this 10 days of prayer kind of sermon, our series and season, we always take a stop and pause in our church to cover this rhythm of prayer as a congregation. And we've been covering heart postures in prayer. And what I mean by heart posture, really simply put, is the attitude of the heart that we position ourselves in before God. It's the attitude of our heart that we position before the Lord when we communicate with God. My, my, I'm struggling with one of my daughters. I won't say which one it is, but lately she's gotten a little bit more attitude than I like. And it's like, you know, I'll say, hey, do this. And she's just, fine. Like, whoa, your heart posture is not right. Because you could do the right thing, say the right thing in the wrong heart posture. And so it's important that in prayer, we really take inventory of what the posture of our heart is. And so far, you could check on our YouTube channel or our podcast on, on wherever they do podcasts nowadays. Um, the posture of adoration, the posture of forgiveness, the posture of confession, the posture of restitution, which is really good, and the posture of praise we covered last week. Amen. This week, we're in our sixth week, we find our James, our verse rather, in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, a familiar passage of scripture for some, and we're hoping to shed some new light on this text. Amen. James writes this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Notice that it doesn't say ask a self-help book, amen. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable, Jesus, in all, not some, in all of his ways. Ooh, that's painful. Some of y'all just like, I don't even like today's sermon already. Pastor ain't even done, and I'm, I'm already checked out mentally. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today on this simple topic, the posture of faith. What it looks like to approach God in faith. Now, as a young person, and, and this is for anybody in your life, when you begin to get older, I'm like 36 and I feel like I'm a dinosaur. For some of y'all who are older, you're just looking at me like I'm crazy, but you know you feel old. Your body starts aching the way it didn't ache before. Things just start breaking down. You don't heal as fast as you used to. But now I'm 36 and I recognize now more than ever how much the things of my childhood have shaped my thinking, my actions, and even, I would say, even the way that some of the more traumatic things that I have been through have shaped the way I caution myself in life. I recognized over six years ago that I had a, a real, six years ago, I was searching for my first house, and me and my wife were looking, and I was scared to jump from being in an apartment to being in a home. The idea of owning a home, y'all, it's amazing. But the reality, eh, it could be a little bit more difficult. And one day I was just, you know, I was just wondering, like, why am I? And I was talking to my brother, because I remember when I had bought my black truck, uh, he had told me that the, I think the payment was like 386. And before that, I wasn't used to paying 386 a month for anything. And he was like, you just got to budget better. You just got to do this. You know, don't be afraid. You can, you know, the numbers are there. You can more than afford it. It's just, can you mentally get past that blockage? 
And I was talking to my brother about the mortgage issue that I had. And, and the ironic thing was the mortgage was only going to be about $150, $200 more than my rent was. It made no sense for me to be worried about it. But what I recognized was this. My brother said, you know, I think that what happened to us is that when dad went through his foreclosure, it really scarred us. It marked us. So those you, for those of you who don't know, my dad, he went through a nine-year foreclosure where he battled with the bank back and forth for eight and a half, nine years. And I remember days where it was, it was scheduled for the sheriff to come and he was going to take the house. It was the day, you remember that, Pastor Carmel, where they were going to kick us out of 610 Colorado Avenue. And I would get ready for school in the morning and I would look at my dad and I'd say, where do I go home after school? I wish I could go back and thank my dad because now as a dad, you recognize the burden of caring for kids, paying bills. Adulting is hard, y'all. Some of you teens who just think money grows on trees. Some of you teens who don't have an appreciation for the bedroom you're in, don't want to clean up that area. You have no idea how much it costs to keep a household. When you look, I wish I had a witness there. But I recognize that I was traumatized on that foreclosure idea. But my father would always say, and he would say it filled with faith, you come home. You come home. And I just remember having that dad as a man filled with faith. He would tell me to come home, and I'm just, I'm going to come home off the bus, but are you going to be there? Is my bed going to be there? And my father had this one day where it was the, it was the day, and he was in the house, and the movers and the trucks pulled up, the sheriffs pulled up, and... As he tells the story, he was inside all by himself. He was praying, and to this day, he doesn't know why. They didn't knock on the door. They didn't come in. They all walked away. To this day, we don't know why. He ends up losing the case, but on the way out of the courtroom, the lawyer says to him, you really like this house, don't you? The bank wants to know if you want to buy it back. And they sold it back to him for, I believe, a third of what he owed them. He lost the battle. He wins the war. But he was the man who spoke in faith continuously about this situation, but I recognized how even in my own life, it did something to me. It was a really big hurdle to buy a home for me that was fueled by oil for heat because I remember as a kid running out of oil. And the thing about running out of oil, it never happens at a convenient time. I remember, yeah, I remember somebody, somebody knows what I'm talking about. I remember sleeping with my coat on. I remember not being able to afford oil, so we had to get diesel because diesel burns clean and you can throw diesel in there. I remember having the little five-gallon bucket and the little siphon filter. You could sit there and put the battery in if you had the good one and you would just stay there and do that for a couple of minutes and you had heat for a couple of hours until the oil man came. But I recognize how those things might have shaped a doubt in me that I had to overcome in my adult life. Are you with me so far? My father modeled faith, but even in the modeling of faith, the circumstance brought me to a place where I was easy to doubt whether God was faithful or not. And so over the life of my adulthood, I would say, I've had to go back and forth between God's faithful or is this going to end up in disaster like I did when I was a kid? Am I going to go through what I went through as a child? Are my children going to go through it? And I would always operate from that vantage point. But the thing about faith is that faith and doubt cannot coexist in the same area and both be evenly rewarded. Are you with me? 
We have to come to God with a posture of faith. Now, I must admit, I love the book of James because the book of James is a very, very good book of the Bible. The person, James, that is the writer of this book, I've told you before, he's not to be confused with the disciple or the apostle of Jesus who was the brother of John. He's not that James. James the apostle was killed and martyred in Acts 12 too. He's the first disciple of Jesus outside of the homeboy who killed himself. He's the first disciple of Jesus to actually die for his faith. And, and he died around 44 AD. Now, the, this is a different James. This James, amazingly, is the biological half-brother of Jesus. And according to Josephus, the historian, uh, in his writing called Jewish Antiquities, this book of James was written before 62 AD, because in 62 AD, the brother of Jesus was killed for his faith. And so we know that this is not the Apostle James. This is the brother of Jesus. And I love this because in Mark 3, 21, the Bible tells us that all of his family, meaning Jesus' family, thought he had lost his ever-loving mind. So somehow in between that moment and the ascension of Jesus, James, his brother, he comes to faith. Something switched in James where he realized, my brother's not mad, he's the Messiah. He hasn't lost his mind. He's really the Messiah. That's an amazing thing. Trust me, nobody here is thinking that your brother or your sister is the Messiah. But James, he goes from unbelief to faith in God. And James becomes this really important figure in the early church. He actually becomes, for lack of a better term, the bishop of the church of Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, I believe it is, we see that Paul talks about this where he says that when he went to Jerusalem three years after his conversion, Peter wasn't even there, so he ended up meeting with James, the brother of Jesus. And so James is now writing to the church from the standpoint of a church father, from this vantage point of a very mature leader in the body of Christ. And here's what he's addressing in this immediate context. He's addressing the fact that the church is facing trials. The believers are facing persecution. The believers are facing a hard time. And he's telling them, hey, if you're lacking wisdom on how to endure the trials that you're facing, you can ask Jesus and the Father for wisdom and he will give it to you. Somebody say amen. amen. So he's specifically here talking about when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a temptation, when the your faith is being tested, you can ask God for wisdom on how to manage the trial. He, he, he's kind of alluding to us and directing us to understand that our faith being tested is a good thing. Knowledge, you know, knowledge untested is just knowledge. Knowledge tested becomes wisdom. Because you know how to deal with the situation. You know how to put what you know into action. He tells them in verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. D.L. Moody, the author of the book that we've modeled much of our sermon series on, Prevailing Prayer, he, he says this idea about, about faith. Faith is the golden key by which to obtain things from the Lord. James doesn't only echo this, but he reinforces this, that God will answer the prayer that is asked in faith. Here's point number one today, real simple, that prayer requires faith. You cannot pray without faith. 
Now, here's what I know. I know that some of you know some of these things, but what you do with what you know is different than what you know. Many of us know these things, but we still go before the Lord filled with doubt and intrepidation. When we talk about faith in church, I'm not talking about some hyper faith, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I'm not talking about whatever you said God's going to do because he's not your genie in a bottle. He's God. We don't believe that you do, you'll get whatever you ask God for because not everything you ask God for is going to be within God's will for your life. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. To ask anything in the name of somebody means that you have to operate within the character of that person based on what you're asking. Are you with me so far? Man, if somebody said to you, man, Pastor Lewis just told me to buy an Android phone. You know that ain't in my character. If one of you will go and say, a man, Pastor Lewis told me to buy this King James Bible because it's the only good version. You know I'm an ESV to the heart. You know that that's not within my character. And so oftentimes we ask God for things that aren't within the character of Christ and wonder why they don't come. That's number one. Number two, the other side to that coin is that we ask without faith and we wonder why they don't come. Faith in many circles has been mischaracterized as this magic pill that if you ask in faith and you got this, I just believe it, that it's going to come to you. That somehow the universe is going to bring it to you. That's not how it works. Well, how about the law of attraction? That's not how it works. Instead, faith is this. Faith is a confident trust that we have in the ability of, in this case, God, to keep his word and perform what he has said. It's a confident trust. It's a, I don't know how, but I know he will. It doesn't make sense, but I'm just going to believe that he will because he hasn't failed me yet. You'll sing it in a song. He won't fail. You jump in, he won't. <laughs> That's your part, right? And you're all like, yes. But some of you are like, he won't for you, for you, for you, for you, but for me, he will. Can we be honest today? God doesn't change. He's going to do what he said. He keeps his word. He is always the same in every season. We call this the immutable nature of God. God is not able to change. Putting our trust and full reliance in God who will keep his word. Now that is faith. The issue with faith is that when life's circumstances come, when the world we live in does a number on our life, faith begins to either waver or it arises. And we begin to judge God based on our current circumstance and not his consistent providence. We, some of us have a circumstantial relationship with God. Doing good, praying a lot. Doing bad, blaming God. Doing good, not praying at all. Doing bad, seeking the throne of grace every morning. That laughter's conviction, y'all. <laughs> See, faith does not ignore the facts. It does not allow the facts to have power over your life if they are against God's word. Faith doesn't ignore the obvious. It just says, well, that's obvious, but I don't know how God is going to do it. But God will. Oftentimes, the truth is we pray but when we don't see what we have asked, we lose faith. This is because God is not on our timetable. 
God is this eternal being. And here's, this is a hard concept to think about, but God literally lives outside of time. He doesn't operate within the rules that he made for time like it's governed in our lives. He's not, he's out of it. He exists outside of time. Trust me when I tell you God is not on your clock. And thank God he's not. Because some of you think you're ready for stuff you are not ready for. And the work of God in us, right? What God does while we're waiting is he's preparing, not the work, he's preparing us for the thing we've been praying for. In our waiting, we exercise that muscle of faith and we exercise our consistent belief in God. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing the word of God. It teaches us that faith arises as we hear God's word. And so any person who has real faith has a real relationship with the word of God. If you don't have a relationship with the word of God, you don't have faith. We're not talking about the gift of faith today. We're just talking about basic, borderline, low level. Somebody say faith. But James points out that faith is not only essential, it is required that if you are going to pray, you have to operate in faith. And if you're going to doubt, here's the tough part, you shouldn't expect to receive anything. Man, somebody's thinking, well, I doubted before and God did it. That's grace. James said, you shouldn't even expect to receive anything from God if you're going to pray and then doubt. Prayer requires faith. A number of years ago, I was in Florida, and I went to the beach with some friends, and we were boogie boarding, and I was new to boogie boarding because I'm just not that kind of a beach person. And that particular day, I didn't even want to get in the water because as I walked to the beach, there was some guy dragging a shark about this big out of the water, and he was playing with it. I'm like, why is this guy playing with a shark? And then he throws it back in the water, and then my friend says, let's go boogie board. I'm like, why? Why? Don't you watch, like... Did you watch Jaws anything? But he wants to go boogie boarding. So I go boogie boarding. And I'll tell you the truth, ma'am. This day in particular, there was some really big waves. Full disclosure, Burgos, a.k.a. me, was not the best at catching these waves. Aria, different story. And I would watch my daughter and she would catch a wave 300 yards out. And she would ride it all, because she's so light, ride it all the way to the shore, having the time of her life. And here I am back here trying to catch the next wave. And she's still riding the last one. That's how some of y'all feel watching people get blessed while you're waiting. Oh, you didn't see me sneak that one in. That's called a preacher trap. <laughs> and I'm sitting there getting tossed by these waves. I'm getting tossed left and right. Because when the wave comes, you got to jump, you got to press down just enough, you got to do all this right stuff. And she, with her little body, she got it. And she was gone. Me and Myla drowning in the back. <laughs> Getting beat up by waves. I caught a couple, but not like her. Man. James says this. When you doubt, you're like someone who was tossed around in an ocean. He says, driven and tossed. Meaning your doubt, meaning your doubt determines your direction and your doubt determines how you're going to be moved in life, left or right. It's doubt. He says doubt will drive you like a wave in the ocean. Man, I couldn't sit there looking at Aria. I was pranoid. I made that word up. I was proud and annoyed. Pranoid. Because she was catching these waves like a pro, and I'm sitting there just looking crazy. But you know what? 
She had the right posture on that board. I didn't. She had the right timing. She had confidence every time she jumped into a wave. And here I am worried about that shark. I didn't tell her about the shark. I just let her live her best life. See, but when you know about the shark, it's hard to do some things. It's hard to enjoy it because you got this in the back of your head. There is a shark and there I was looking like a sea lion with two left fins, unable to do anything. And here's her, just little mermaid. And me and the rest of us looking like sea lions over here. But verse 7 and 8, he goes further in telling us that we shouldn't expect to receive anything if we're going to invest in doubt mentally. We can't expect anything. Here's what you should know, that if you've been praying and doubting, don't expect anything. As deflating as that may be, it's called biblical truth. That we cannot, as believers, come to God in prayer. Remember, the topic here is prayer. And think that we're going to get from God if we're doubting God. James says this, that in all their ways, that person is double-minded. And they're unstable. There's an overall instability in their life. And many people who I've met who struggle with this level of doubt, there's this uncertainty in their life at all times. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? And they live in two words. They live inside of two words. What if? Their whole life is governed by this fear of what if. This word double-minded, in one of the dictionaries I read it, it's almost like it says there's two souls inside of you fighting for control. It's a double soul. It's, it's on one side I believe, but on the other side I'm filled with God won't do it for me. Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of fame of faith in the Bible. And it says this in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here's point number two, that God rewards diligence, not doubt. That God rewards those who keep coming back in faith. That God rewards those who don't begin to live a life of doubt because once you, you doubt in one area, it's like a, it's just, it's just a domino effect. Well, if God can't do it for me here, why would he do it there? And why would he do this? And why would he do that? I'm going to die early. It's like, what? God can and will do everything he has told you. Because a person who wavers back and forth does not know that they, if they trust God or not. They're not able to handle God's true gifts because they're not worthy of it, because they don't trust God. Here's why God can't answer a prayer for those who doubt. Because if God rewards doubt, he validates doubt. If God rewards doubt, he validates doubt. But because he will not reward doubt, right, he will not do that. He's telling us you have to operate in faith. If he rewards doubt, he would ignore and neglect his own word. Because in doubt, we ignore God, we neglect God, we question God, we hold God in contempt, and sometimes we curse God. We don't want to waver in our faith, right? We want to be grounded in our faith. The writer of Hebrews states that without faith, there's not even a possibility of pleasing God. Because faith is the main ingredient in pleasing God. The writer of Hebrews tells us it takes faith to be diligent because being diligent suggests that I keep coming back to God. And I can't even go to God if I first don't by faith believe he exists. 
And so every ounce of prayer takes faith. For you to open your mouth, that's faith. Because you believe there's a God on the other side listening. You believe there's a God on the other side taking care of you. I recall many years ago, I was, when I was still single, so about 12, 13 years ago, I went to Dominican Republic with a cousin of mine and some friends. And I decided that I, I was sitting on the beach one day. And for those of you who know me, I don't even like the beach. I was trying to be different and it wasn't working out for me. I don't like sand. I don't like any of that stuff. I'm a pool guy. That's, it's a little bit easier. Any pool people here? Praise the Lord. Yeah, all the people like, I want my tan at the beach. Not me. I want shade and cover, Lord God. But here I am on the beach and I see these people and they're in this like, uh, they're parasailing with a boat and all that stuff with a boat, you know, has a little parachute, lets you up in the air and the boat zooms off and you get up into the sky and have all these great things. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so I said to myself, I'm going to go parasailing. So I paid my $85, which is a ripoff, whatever. It's fine. I'm, I'm by myself. I'm single. I'm just going to spend the money. And all the people went on there with couples. Forget them. Now I'm up there by myself. Now I'm on the boat and I'm watching these people and everyone's enjoying themselves. Oh my God, this is so good. Oh my God, it's so great. And the views must be amazing. I'm in great expectation, y'all. I'm like, I cannot wait to get up there. I want to see what it looks like. So my turn comes. I sit in the seat and they start lifting your boy up. And I'm like, wow, this is a great view. Pastor Mary, I'm like, this is great. Until I look to the left and to the right. And I realize, show them, Karina, I realize that these straps and these three carabiners are the only thing holding your boy up. At this moment, my life has flashed before my eyes. At this juncture, I have, I'm already dead in my mind. I'm already planning my own funeral. And I had just started my ride and I realized I'm going to die. I'm not even going to fall and hit the water. I'll be the dude to fall and just like if the thing takes me, I go up in the air. If I fall down, it's like two choices. This parachute takes me away and I go deep sea and I drown or I fall down, get run over by a boat. And now my heart stops beating fast. Now I'm like... I feel like I'm in the roller coaster line at Six Flags with a Superman. It's like, I don't want to do this. Why am I here? What am I doing? And I realized that I like the ground. Why am I up in the air? And I'm looking at these little things holding me. I'm like, oh, Jesus. I wonder who sold these things. Are they strong enough to hold me? Although it handles some people who were much bigger than your boy. And it was handling couples. I'm up there by myself and I am stressed out my mind. I'm on this little wooden seat, and I'm like, what if the seat breaks? They have me strapped in. I'm looking at all these straps. What if they pop out? And some of y'all are sucking your teeth. I hear y'all judging me. You might doubt about dumber stuff. At least I was 70 feet in the air doubting something. Some of you doubted right here in the ground. So here I am. I'm up there. I'm doubting. You know what happened to me? Nothing. <laughs> but what did happen was I missed the joy of my journey and my view and my perspective because I was so focused on what was so close to me 
that I couldn't look beyond that. I tried. <laughs> it didn't work. Because I was in my head convinced, yeah, this is my break on your boy. <laughs> you went straight down. This is it. God, I love you. Uh, any unconfessed sin that I have, bring it to my memory right now. I got about seven seconds before I drop and die, Lord. Ruined the entire excursion for me. But how often do we take that same mindset with God? That we can't enjoy the journey called life and the perspective and the view he has given us because the faith that we have has been turned into doubt because we think that God will not do what he said or we don't trust the history of God. We don't trust the scripture. See, doubt makes you invest in unbelief, and unbelief limited the miracles of Jesus in his hometown. How much more will it limit him working in your life? Doubt will have you believing that God can and will do for everyone else, but he will not do for you because there is something wrong with you. And you'll ask dumb questions like, what is wrong with me? What have I done wrong? It just takes some time. Not everybody is on the same developing schedule with God. Other people are on different schedules. Doubt will make you hate the journey and idolize the destination so much so that when you get there, there's a lack of appreciation for getting to the destination. Because you can't appreciate that journey. I've taken a couple of road trips with my children, and the question is, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? When we're there, you will know. And sometimes you spend the whole time, instead of enjoying the ride, are we there yet, God? Are we there yet, God? But God rewards diligence, not doubt. How do you be present in these moments with the Lord? Even in the moments where things aren't good, how do you be present in the midst of them? Well, it's by faith. I want to challenge you today to pray with faith. Matthew 21, 19. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled and saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree but even if you say to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea it will happen and whatever you ask in prayer you will receive if you have faith here's what jesus did not say jesus did not say that you will move mountains he said that god will move them if you have faith i'll close with this let's recap prayer requires faith and we cannot even begin to pray without first believing God is listening. Because God is not able just to listen. He is able to respond. Secondly, God rewards our diligence, our consistency in coming after him with the same faith. And if you have doubtful moments, I challenge you as a believer, own them. Repent and say, God, forgive me for doubting you. I will continue to believe even if I can't see it. Because faith apprehends with the heart which you cannot currently apprehend with your hands. Faith apprehends with the heart, what we cannot currently apprehend with our hands. And that testing and the trials that we go through and the waiting that God makes us do, it produces something in us that is strong. He said, I made this commitment in my life this year to live a healthier lifestyle. I've been working out more than I ever have, but it takes consistency to build up strength in your life. You might need to have some trials to go through your life to build up the faith that you have and that you much need but as you keep on going back to God you get stronger in your faith you begin to be more solidified in your life 
That's the story of so many people in the scripture. The great heroes of faith who by faith saw things with their eyes and their spirit man that they could not apprehend with their physical hands, but God guided them to it. Unbelief sees something in God's hands and says, I can never have that. Faith says, I will have that. James 1.5 says, God surely will give us what we ask if we ask by faith. Here's point number three, that where faith is employed, resources are deployed. Wherever you put faith to work in your life, God will release what you need in your life. And this is not talking about finances, just finances. Because some of us have such a, such a first world mindset, a Western Christianity. It might be more faith to wait. Y'all want to hear that one. He might give you more faith to keep waiting. He might give you more patience. He might give you more joy. He might give you more health in your life. Because there's more that God is desiring to do in your life. But if you would employ faith, he will deploy resources in your life. He'll give you the faith to grow in your walk with him. Consider Hebrews chapter 11. The scripture says this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him, accepting his gifts, and through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him now. Before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By his condemned, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful, she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. They all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I love verse 17, y'all. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh because he considered the reproach of Christ greater. He understood that he was going out of Egypt. He understood that God would redeem By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish. I love verse 32. What shall I say more? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, and David, Samuel, and the prophets. Beloved, it's by faith that we go to God. It's by faith. You may not see everything in your lifetime, but do you still have the faith to believe that some of the promises he's given you are for your children? It's all by faith. It's by our faith. You see, last week we talked about praise and we jumped into a frenzy. But faith is more personal in the sense that you have to go home and actually live that thing out to a degree that cannot be faked. And when trials come and when the wind comes to drive you again in doubt, you have to choose to stand on the word of God. That by faith, I'm going to enjoy this journey with God. By faith, I'm going to walk in righteousness. By faith, everything that he has promised me will come to fruition. By faith, your children shall be saved. By faith. God will deliver you from every bondage in your life by faith. It's not going to come from my doubting, but it's coming from a deep trust in God. And here's a trust that I have, that he who promised is faithful. Come on, stand with me. That he who promised is faithful. If you believe that, would you look at the person next to you and tell him, he's faithful. He's faithful. He who promised, he's faithful. Isn't God good? This is the kind of sermon where you got to actually go home now and live in such a way and autocorrect every moment of doubt you may have. Because for some of us, doubt has become a routine. You, now, you have to go and be intentional about faith. But by God's grace, he will strengthen every single one of us that you will receive all that he has promised you, small and great. Would you bow your heads? Now, for many of us, we might really, with all of our hearts, love the Lord. But there is a doubt that has nestled his way into our minds. I want to pray over you and I want to speak against that doubt right now. If that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you can? If you know 
Just be real with yourself. Pastor, more often than not, I'm wrestling with some doubt about some big things in my life, and I'm trying to trust God, but I can't. With no shame in your heart, lifting your hand as high as you can. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you are doubting what God can do with you. Some of you are doubting what God can do through you. Some of you are doubting about career fields and passions that God has given you. You're just doubting so many things, and God's like, I want to do something in your life. If you're struggling in that area, thank you so much. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray over you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, you see every individual who has their hand lifted high. I just ask you right now that you would silence the voice of doubt in their minds, in their hearts, and in their lives. We speak right now to that voice of doubt to be removed in Jesus' name. Father, would you help us to live in faith and to walk by faith, to employ faith in our prayers, to posture our hearts, fully believing that you are able, for your word declares that you are. And so by faith, we approach the throne of grace. Father, deal with our doubt this week. Deal with our doubt. And let us be sons and daughters who are filled with faith, believing our Father in heaven will take care of everything he has told us he will. In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed in this moment, I want to offer anyone in this room who may have not made a recent commitment to Christ. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus, but you want to have that kind of faith in him. You want to experience that relationship with him. I want to ask anyone who's maybe the first time ever or you're off the path and you want to reconcile your heart and your life to the Lord. This is a very powerful moment in the kingdom of God, church. If that's you, right from where you're sitting, would you do me a favor? Because I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to pray with you. Would you lift your hand as high as you can? If you know your life is not right with the Lord right now and you want to make that decision, come on, thank you. Lifting your hand as high as you can with no shame. Come on, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Thank you. Come on, we got one. Come on. I just want to make some things right in my heart right now, God. I want to make some things right in my life, Lord Jesus. Come on, we have two. I'll wait for you. I'll wait. I, I'll wait here for a moment because this is important. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you lifted your hand or you know you should be lifting your hand, I want you to take a step of faith and I want you to meet me at this altar. And some of our prayer team is going to meet you here. Don't be ashamed. Come on. I see both your hands. Just come right now. Just come forward. Come right now. Come on. They're going to meet with you. They're going to pray for you. Come on. Come right this way. If you're online and, and you want to get to know Christ, I want to challenge you to, to, to put something in the comments. And our moderators are standing by. They're there to pray with you. If you need prayer in any area of your life, if you want to receive Christ today, I want to challenge you that this house, we want to lead you to Jesus more than anything. Because it's a relationship with Christ that will change everything. Would you, church, just for a moment, would you lift these men in prayer as they're going to be led in prayer by these individual prayer people. And if there's anybody else who knows you need Christ... 
your life is not aligned, I want to challenge you. There's room. We'll take a few moments here. There's room for you at the altar. There's room right now in Jesus' name. And if you're in your seats, would you just begin to intercede for these individuals right now? And maybe even those who are online. Come on, lift up your prayers across the sanctuary. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for these men. We thank you, Lord God, for their boldness, their honesty to say, I need Jesus in my life. I need to make some things right. I need to correct some areas of my heart. I need to do this because the gospel is worthy. Father, we pray right now for your grace and for your peace. We pray for the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to overcome them. Come on, we thank you, Lord, for salvation. Come on, somebody thank him for salvation. Come on, give him praise. Come on, give him praise. Give him honor. We lift up your name, Lord Jesus. Now, even as they're ministering to these men all across the sanctuary, would you lift your hands even as they're ministering? Father, we just surrender this moment to you. We surrender this moment to you. We surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our will, our minds to you, Lord God. Lord, even as they're being ministered to, we ask you, Lord, to sweep into their hearts, sweep into their lives, and take over. We love you so much, Jesus. Deposit a fresh faith in our hearts. Deposit it in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, Lord, as we deeply desire to be a people pleasing unto you. Align our hearts. Bind us together as a body in Christ, believing you for great things, God. That by faith we will receive all that we have come before you for. Come on, we honor you, Lord Jesus. We honor you, Lord God. We magnify you, Lord. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, ask or even imagine. Father, we bless your name. We bless your name, Lord. Lord, that as we leave this house, that you would guard us and guide us. That you would let this word rise and fall on good soil today. That by your mercy and by your strength and by your own grace, it would take root in our lives and bear much fruit. Father, I pray that you would make us a people filled with faith. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Come on, the church says amen. 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 God bless you guys. We love you.